on May 10th, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes is coming to IMAX and theaters everywhere. This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. I stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Only in theaters May 10th. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Warning. This podcast contains a lot of spoilers for various comic book properties that are discussed herein and that there are too many to mention right up here at the top of the podcast. Additionally, we're going to be talking about what we think could happen in Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. That will include some mentions of rumors of castings that have been out there for a year or more, honestly, and that are also part of uh, Marvel leaks discussions that have broken through into the mainstream. Anything that happens regarding leaks that happens on Reddit, those kind of discussions, we're not going to touch those ever. But some of the stuff that's crossover into mainstream conversation, we will talk about. And uh, some of that is in our conversation in Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Uh, You have been hereby warned. Jason Concepcion, and welcome to X-Ray Vision, the crooked podcast where we dive deep into your favorite shows, movies, comics, and pop culture in today's episode. On Previously On, we're going to talk about a bunch of news, uh, including the drop today of the Thor Love and Thunder action figure designs, some uh, Paramount Pictures news, the trailers from the Super Bowl, uh, especially a, a deep dive on Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. In Hivemind, our good friend Jason Manzukas joins us uh, to just talk about comics and talk about our origin stories with comics and what we're reading right now. In Nerd Out, a listener pitches us on alternative movie posters and in the endgame, what's your mutant power? Joining us today, the brilliant, the great, the knowledgeable, the hilarious, Rosie Knight. Rosie, how are you? Hello, I'm good. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm excited to talk about comics. Yeah. As of the last two days reading comics, <laughs> I had a I had a, a back issue. Like my pull list at my local comic shop was like almost a foot tall of stuff I needed to read. <laughs> so I got I I brought it in. I collated it into by title, and I read through it. And I'm excited to talk comics today. Love to hear it. Comics are the best. The best. Okay, news. Okay, first up, as mentioned at the top of the show, the Thor Love and Thunder action figures uh, by Tamashi Nation, uh, the designs of which have hit the internet, and not much to say except they look great, Rosie. They look great. They They're look doing it. Really great. They're doing exactly what we thought we would do. Jane Foster Thor. It's what we wanted to see. It's what we wanted to see. see. For those of you uh, who haven't read the Jason Aaron, Russell Dowderman run of uh, Jane Foster Thor, go ahead and do that because it's great. And man, I can't wait. I can't wait for this. This is going to be really fun. Next up, Paramount News. A bunch of Star Trek news uh, dropped over the last few days. First of all, uh, Viacom CBS will now be known as Paramount. Okay, that's probably a good idea. (laughs) And the relevant news here is that the fourth Star Trek film uh, with reboot cast, including Chris Pine 
and directed by WandaVision's Matt Shackman has been announced. Also, uh, before the season is even dropped, the Halo show on Paramount Plus has been renewed for a season two. We've got another Transformers uh, picture, Transformers Rise of the Beasts, kicking off another trilogy. And A Quiet Place 3, shocking, shocking trilogy, A Quiet Place 3 uh, is coming out in 2025. Any reactions to this, Rosie? I cannot wait for Transformers Rise of the Beasts because one, <laughs> Ron Perlman is going to be in it playing Optimus Primal. And two, I just love those weird Beast Wars, Beast Machines stuff. So I want to see, I'm like, is this animated? I think it's live action. So like, are we going to get like a Megatron that turns into a T-Rex and like Ron Perlman's going to be voicing like a gorilla robot? Like, this just sounds too bonkers and I'm I'm here for it. Also, those Star Trek films are fun and I think Matt Shackman killed it with WandaVision. So to Agreed. see him bring that to that place would be really, that'll be really interesting. I agree. The Star Trek films were quite fun. I, uh, you know, like two and three, uh, maybe people were, you know, slightly disappointed by them. And I think the lying about <laughs> who is in the movie marketing strategy probably backfired. Started a dangerous <laughs> trend that we're still living with today. Still we're living still with living it. with it. Uh, and, but they got the blowback more than anybody else. But I like those movies and I agree with you. Uh, let's talk about the trailers uh, from Super Bowl Sunday. First up, Jordan Peele's new movie, Nope, debuted its trailer. And I'll just say that I'm excited for it. It looks great. Like uh, Jordan Peele, one of the most exciting and unique voices in cinema today. The trailer gave away nothing but made you feel like I want to see this movie, which is. Yep. Pure Jordan Peele. And it's unbelievable cast. So it's going to be great. Unbelievable cast. It's going to be spooky. Can't wait. Next, DC with a with a trailer for the world. Basically like a, um, hey, we're here. Mm-hmm. Our heroes are doing stuff. Don't forget about that. Black Adam coming. The Flash coming. Batman coming. Like, we are here also. And we're here to blow your minds. I like this trailer as well. Aquaman shouts out to my guy, Jason Momoa, looking great. Like I love Aquaman. Also, the Black Adam movie, I feel like this gave us a better look at it than we've gotten before. Because I thought it was going to be quite dark, gritty, historical with the stuff we'd seen with The Rock. But it actually yeah. looks a bit more Shazam. Like you're going to have a younger Justice Society. He's going to have to yeah. come and help. And I loved Shazam. I love that more family-friendly tone. And I think it's really cool that they can have something like the Batman, which looks like a, a scary thriller, and in the same year release a movie that's more of like an old school, golden age kind of fun. So I think that is a very smart way for DC to harness the most powerful thing they do, which is let directors do whatever they want. Pierce Brosnan's Dr. Fate feels like it came, like the perfect casting. Yeah. Like, <laughs> uh, he just like has that grizzled look of Dr. Fate. The casting is just so good. Like Aldous Hodge's Hawkman, Hawkman yes. is just like casting Noah Centina as Atom Smasher, a character no one's heard of, but whose name is so memeable. It just makes yeah. me very happy. <laughs> the Lord of the Rings trailer uh, dropped. Since then, there's been this weird, it looks bad discourse. I couldn't disagree more. I think it looks fucking great. Oh, it looks uh, so there good. are some of, some of the hardcore uh, Lord of the Rings fans are upset that like the dwarf women don't have beards. Get a grip, please. I think it looks great. Maybe some will. We haven't seen all of Maybe them. Maybe some will. You, you don't know. You have no idea. You know. But I thought it looked so good. Like, I just can't get over the level of 
texture and and it feels so it just feels like a movie it looks like a movie it looks textured and 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 real and fantastical and the locations look amazing and i love all the character designs that we've seen so far i'm Same. i'm excited for it yeah and i don't i truly do not understand the it looks bad take from i mean people are saying film twitter there is just like a loud subset of the audience that is like this this doesn't look good i Man, again, I could not disagree more. I think it looks truly incredible. I think it looks amazing from what we've seen yeah. so far. So I d- disagree with that. Um, uh, we got some more stuff from Moon Knight, a, a TV spot with some uh, different shots in it. We get a good view of the costume. We get to see Oscar Isaac doing some other stuff. And uh, related to this, there was a, a interview with Kevin Feige and Oscar Isaac in Empire Magazine where Feige basically is like, this is our Batman. No, it's, it is, mm-hmm. he says, quote, there are moments in the series when Moon Knight is wailing on another character and it's loud and brutal and the knee-jerk reaction is, we're going to pull back on this, right? No, we're not pulling back. This is a tonal shift. This is a different thing. This is Moon Knight. So Moon Knight is a character that in the comics, if you want to know what Moon Knight uh, series to read, Declan Shelby's is a great place to go. But you can almost read anything because it's like, Moon Knight is about vibes, and it feels like they've captured the vibes. It's yeah. less about plot and story. There's no real, like, oh, that's the Moon Knight story you have to read. I don't know that Moon Knight has ever really gotten to that level, for at least for me personally in the comics. But, like, I've always read everything involving the characters. I just love the vibe. I just love the vibe of Moon Knight. What did you think of uh, the new trailer and some of the new news? I think you're right, because, like, the truth is that the way that Moon Knight is, is like the core of Moon Knight stays the same. A guy, some kind of supernatural Egyptian themed God, and then multiple personalities that are either a personality disorder or not, depending on which story you read. I think they're definitely taken from that new stuff, Declan Shalvey, uh, that yeah. Max Bemis crazy runs in the family run. Um, yeah. I'm very interested. I love Oscar Isaac. Uh, I really am heralding the the horror comic book movie kind of era yeah. that we're moving into which i think we've talked about this but like batman then this then doctor strange it really seems like we're going that way we've talked about this before the mental health stuff will they get it right will they get it we right hope so i don't know um yeah. it was really cool i think the thing that actually visually got me most excited was empire had a picture of the mr knight persona from yes. like you said the declan shalvey stuff and that is so cool with the with the really tight mask with the moon on it and the suit so I'm excited to see those other personas, but I do think they did a really good job redesigning the main costume because in the comics, that costume can look kind of like a clan costume at times, especially <laughs> in totally, the old yeah. stuff. <laughs> in the old stuff. So like, I think they did a great job making him look kind of like a mummy, like a spooky yeah. supernatural mummy. And I'm excited. I wanna. I won't. I won't. Kevin Feige. When Kevin Feige lets rip and kind of does the weird stuff like One Division or. You know, even Let's Rip with something like Hawkeye where you're doing something just doesn't feel like a superhero show. I think that's where you really get the special stuff. So I think it could be very cool. The Moon Knight persona, for those of you in the uninitiated. So Moon Knight, the regular Moon Knight costume is like his crime fighting costume. Uh, You can think about it as, again, the kind of Marvel version of Batman. Mr. Knight is like the detective. Mm -hmm. When When he's in detective mode, the cops need help. They need, you know, there's a crime that nobody can figure out what's going on. Uh, Mr. Knight in his uh, white suit, a more tight fitting mask will show up and survey the scene. Uh, And it's just a really cool look that 
from 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 the pictures in Empire, they've really translated really well. Mm-hmm. It looks super super cool. Okay, this is the big one. Here we go. Let's talk about it. Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. The Super Bowl trailer had some real jaw dropping moments in it. Directed by Sam Raimi, of course. Gosh, where do where do you even start? Do you you wrote a where you wrote a, a a great here are all the Easter eggs and possible Easter eggs piece in Nerdist. Rosie, kick us off. Where do we start in talking about this trailer? Okay, so I'm going to make everyone laugh because the piece I specifically like authored with my name on it was actually about the poster, but that does tie in directly to the movie. The poster yeah. is absolutely bonkers. I made a I made a key on Nerdist to show all the different things. We saw all kinds of stuff there. Deadpool. There's a potential little maybe a Cyclops that looks like it's scream. He's screaming. There's all this different stuff that shows that the MCU is basically like this is happening. Feige's like, we own Fox, like all the Fox stuff is back in our pocket now and we can do whatever we want. And then the the trailer very much leans into that. Where do we begin? Well, okay, so very horror-ish. I think the big focus here, we'd already kind of seen her in the Spider-Man No Way Home version, but uh, America Chavez, played by Social yes. Gomez, she's big here. We see her fighting... Shumagorath, who we now know will definitely 100% be called Gargantos. A note for the audience, Rosie, will continue to uh, <laughs> g- will continue to refer to Gargantos as Shumagorath. Just keep that from your notes for your own uh, for your own references. I will probably do it as well, just because of reflex. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, we see her fighting with Doctor Strange. Jason, you brought up something really interesting. We were talking about like there's so much in this trailer. So you were talking about you think this is an early fight. And I agree with you. Yeah, I think that this is an... Here's my theory, okay? So Strange gets thrown into the multiverse somehow. And Marvel movies often open with, uh, you know, some kind of uh, fight in the cold open. I think the fight with Garganto slash uh, Shumagorath is the cold open. And I think there's been a lot of House of M theorizing how uh, mutants might come into this. I think that off-rip, Doctor Strange ends up in a world in which... Everybody is enhanced, a mutant, has superpowers, whatever you want to call it. And America Chavez is just like a regular person in this world in which she has better powers. All the citizens, the ruling, the, the ruling class of this world, the regular people are superpowered. And that is how she comes into his orbit and how they end up paired up together. I think, in other words, I think we start with House of M. Yeah, I could totally see that because we get a lot of stuff with uh, Stephen and America going through all these different portals. And there's one point where they definitely look like they're in the Savage Land, which is very, very key to X-Men. Let's go! Yeah, dinosaurs, (laughs) you know, the X-Men Rogue had a very famous arc there. Also... The Savage Land is like, the name is dodgy, but it's a it's kind of a prehistoric land and um, lots of dinosaurs, lots of cool stuff, played into a lot of X-Men stuff and seems to be hinted. Oh, months ago, there was a Black Panther 2 description that was put on a casting site, I think. And it it was basically hinting that there was some kind of search for vibranium. And in the comics, that's a place where you can find it. So Savage Land seems like it's going to be coming into play. But the reason I bring it up is because in that moment, Strange and America go through a portal and their faces become this kind of horrifying puzzle of squares. And aside from it being very scary, it's also definitely a reference to the Joe Quesada House of M cover, which is Wanda and her face is becoming 
these kind of squares. So they're definitely, they've been playing with House of M since WandaVision. One of the first trailers had a had a bottle of wine that said House of yeah. M, you know, this kind of stuff. So it, they're playing with it, but I think that we're definitely in that zone. And the kind of big journey that we see Strange go on here is, for some reason, somehow, could be to do with No Way Home, we don't know, could be to do with Christine, a la what if. For some reason, he is in trouble with everyone. He's opened the multiverse and he's in trouble. He's in trouble with Mordo. He's in trouble with this mysterious group that we'll get to. So why is he in trouble? So that's let's talk about that for a second. First of all, let me just say, for those of you not familiar with House of M, House of M is a storyline uh, that came out, I, I want to say like 2004, 2005 in Marvel, something about in there, in which uh, Wanda kind of like, heartbroken and fed up that uh, that uh, mutants have gotten such short shrift over you know the course of their history uh, with the human race that she casts a spell that flips it mutants now run the world run reality they are at the highest levels of government you know they are they sit as judges and human beings still exist but they are just not exactly second class citizens, but they're not in they're the subservient. Right. They're not in the driver's seat. And and basically culturally, societally, politically, it is mutants who run things. Yes. I just want to say as well, as a wonder apologist, and because we're talking about the X-Men, she yeah. is being manipulated by her brother Quicksilver, who Correct. we have seen, Correct. and her father Magneto, who become House of M, the House of Magnus, you know, becomes yeah. they become the leaders. And what it leads to, which is really interesting because it kind of relates to what we, I didn't really think about this till we're talking right now, kind of relates to what we saw in um, No Way Home. But the outcome of that is all of the superheroes, Peter Parker, they don't yeah. remember what happened they before. Don't remember. So they have created their own lives. And there's this really heartbreaking stuff where Peter is essentially happy and has the life he always dreamed of. And he has to leave it behind because it's not real. And he has to come back to break this world. And the end of that, book is a very or the end of this sort of event is a very famous line no more mutants yeah and and the for a long time from even pre-wandavision but especially during wandavision and now going into this movie a lot of fans have wondered will there be a reverse house of m right more mutants instead of more mutants you know yeah or, or could it be some kind of if 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 wanda is messing around with multiversal mag magic we already saw the impact that her powers could create. You know, uh, Monica walking through the shield gave Monica yeah. powers. Monica chose to take on those powers. So there's definitely right. feels like Wanda could be the introduction to mutants, especially because in the comics, she has throughout her history been a mutant and not been a mutant. Kind of, right. So she has that, that gateway crossover. Okay, so... Uh, what did Strange do? Back to this. I think th this is a really important question because it seems to me that there are at least two aggrieved parties here. One is Mordo, who's mad at Strange for, I would imagine, casting the spell from No Way Home mm -hmm. that brought various characters who know of the identity of Peter Parker into the, I'm just going to call it 616, into yeah. the 616 reality, right? Uh, thus breaking reality, uh, weakening the bonds, uh, weakening the boundaries of our realm from other realms. And really, like, you know, he's not Sorcerer Supreme, but if he was, this would be a a, a big-time dereliction of yeah. his duty as the guardian of this realm, right? So I could see Mordo I, – I could see that being the reason that Mordo is mad at Strange. Why is 
the Illuminati mad at strange separately. Is that a separate thing okay. or is it the same? So we should add that in, yeah. in the trailer, we watch Dr. Strange. They put a, a pair of uh, magical handcuffs on him. They bring him uh, escorted by Ultron bots into the presence of a council headed by, it can only be Charles Xavier, Professor X played by Patrick Stewart, who is in the comics, a member of a, a, a secret team called the Illuminati who behind the scenes across the history of the Marvel universe has shaped events when they felt like events needed shaping. Yeah. And the, the team is, is this secret team of powerful male superheroes in the comics who the decided men, they, the could, boys. Like, they could yeah. do better than everyone else. They kind of create and, um, and in there's different iterations of them, but the the Bendis iteration is, uh, you know, Reed Richards, Xavier, yep. Black Panther, Black Bolt, and a couple of other heroes. And and we do. Well, they ask they ask Steve to be a part. They ask Captain yeah. America to be part of it, and he's like, ah, this is I don't know about this. Seems like, T'Challa too also, much power for us. And they were like, great, we erase yeah. your mind, go away. <laughs> T'Challa also <laughs> is like not happy about it. Like, yeah, he's like, yeah. He's like yeah. So so we yeah. think in this trailer, if you pause it, which many of us have. We think that you can see a Black Panther, which after What If and the events of um, real life and Black Panther, we think that's probably Killmonger. You can see his, uh, you can see the Black Panther necklace and in What If, Killmonger had the Ultron bots. So it would right. make sense that those were there. Will we see a Reed Richards? There are two in the past from two different Fox movies that could yep. potentially show up. We have a woman, which is likely Captain Carter. But could also right. be a female version of Doctor Strange, like Clea, uh, a, a female Sorcerer Supreme. I could see a Captain Carter mashup with Excalibur, kind of mm. like a magical, yeah, so, like, like more like that, Captain Britain, like yeah, a more bringing in the classic Captain Britain aspect to it, but through uh, through the lens of a character that we are familiar with, Captain Carter. I I I wonder if that's the case. Yeah. Oh, that's actually as well. That's a really interesting. So we have an interesting thing here now. It's unlikely that. Johnny Storm, for example, is going to be in the Illuminati. But we do have an MCU where two different people have played Johnny Storm in previous movies. They got to do it. Chris Evans and Michael B. Jordan, who will likely be Killmonger. So I think that's very interesting. And basically, this it seems like here this is some kind of multiversal council, which was not the case uh, in the comics, you know. So what has Strange done? Yeah, again, what has he done to... it? infuriate not only his old friend and mentor Mordo who we hope will have a, a truly wonderful wondrous arc here which I feel like he yeah. uh, he has been missing and Chiwetel's such a brilliant actor but also this multiversal council of people who have never paid him any attention even though he's always I mean in the first movie he's like hopping through dimensions changing time tricking people da -da -da. so what did he do that is so bad that this time it has made it kind of more serious like I watched so I watched I was re-watching the trailer and I was thinking that something that we see, and it's unclear whether we're seeing a reversed version or a, or an in-time version, we seem to see Steven basically using chaos magic and then trapping it back into the dark hold. Right. And I wonder if that might be a flashback and it was like somehow Steven was the one who ended up with the dark hold in Wanda's hands or something. Because mm. we know Wanda is going through the multiverse looking for the babies. So if she's looking for Billy and Tommy she could be causing some multiversal issues. And we know that her and Steven are going to come. The, the trailer we saw in No Way Home kind of implied that he was going to her and being like, Westview was fine. But we know Marvel loves, we love, we know they love to do an ADR. So I don't know if I believe that. Yeah. 
Yeah, we'll get into that a little bit in a bit. But a classic, it is a classic Marvel technique to just dub a different line over whatever the scene is so that they mask what is really going on. Continue. Oh, yeah, yeah. So back to the uh, Illuminati. Also, Baron Mordo could potentially be a member of the Illuminati. There is a could f- possibly it looks be. like he may be in the area. So we could see an alternate universe of Mordo where he is the Sorcerer Supreme, which has been the case. Okay, so the big ones that I think everyone is really talking about is... Of course. We see a, aside from Patrick Stewart, which I have to say is such a huge trailer drop, like everyone's been I waiting. I couldn't believe it. That means the X-Men are canon in the MCU in at least yes. some universe, right? Which is huge. Which is huge. And we should add that Kevin Feige is anti-reboots, philosophically. If the movie came out, he's going to act like that movie, the reality of it, some portion of it mm-hmm. exists in the emails that emerged during the uh, North Korean hacking incident of of Sony Pictures, there was a a conversation in which Feige talks about uh, why he would not reboot any of his movies. He says in one of the emails, he says, quote, in a million years, I would not advocate rebooting the Iron Man MCU. To me, it's James Bond. We can keep telling stories for decades, even with new actors. So I think that that's right. Like if we're wondering about what this means for all the previous X-Men movies, I think we should assume that all of that exists yeah. in the MCU now. And it also makes sense because Kevin Feige worked on those movies. Like he has been yeah. heralding these stories for such a long time in, in so many different ways. So he, of course he wants them to all exist. The question is, you know, do I think that Patrick Stewart is going to be the main Xavier going forward for the next 10 years in the MCU? No. But does his Xavier exist here? Yes. So there's yeah. a there's a sequence shortly after that where we see Wanda and she's fighting with this this dynamic armored character who has these kind of shiny blue gauntlets and this chest Mm -hmm. piece and a head sock, like a flaming kind of head sock. Our belief, we've talked about this, is that it is likely, uh, if if the Illuminati is made of variants, which it seems to be, it's likely Maria Rambo, who we met in Captain Marvel, who was the mother of Monica Rambo, but from a universe where she got the powers instead of Carol. That seems likely. So I agree with you. And it's a little confusing because, again, it's Maria, not Monica. Who we know has powers. Who we know has powers, but not Monica's powers, Captain Marvel's powers. Yes. And the other, it's important to bring this up because this has been a talking point for many years. Many, many moons ago, in in the ages before the MCU, someone else was supposed to play Iron Man or was spoken about for the role. And it was Tom Cruise. Now, you can see why. It's hard to believe because Robert Downey Jr. is Iron Man. But I think the freedom of anyone who took on that role would have been to make it their own. Um, So some people think that in that moment when you see that fight, it could be Tom Cruise as superior Iron Man. I do think that if they're doing variants, we will likely get to see him. But I think because of the history between Monica and Wanda and Wanda and, uh, and Sword... I think that if that fight, it it seems to more emotionally and narratively make sense if it is Maria. So who do we think is a member of this Illuminati council? We know Patrick Stewart is there as Charles Xavier. Okay. We think Killmonger is there. Okay. We think that Captain Carter slash Captain Britain is there. Uh, We think that – do we think that, for instance, Namor, who is a member of the team in the comics, might be there? I think that – Namor is such a big, will be such a big character for them who they have been holding off for so long. And the the arc of Black Panther 2, as we know it, 
seems to me that we will probably meet Namor there or it will lead into Namor. So I think they're going to go for more likely variants of characters we've already seen. So I think Reed Richards is probably pretty high on that list. If they're going to I agree with you. If they're going to do Patrick Stewart as Charles Xavier is the biggest surprise you could do. If you're saying that X-Men exist, then there's no reason to not do the Fantastic Four. Here's a question I have for you. So in the trailer, and again, understanding that very often Marvel will will ADR different lines on top of scenes or completely erase dialogue from the trailer. In the scene where Strange is brought before the Illuminati Council, uh, we hear Charles Xavier, and I can't believe I was saying Charles Xavier. We hear Charles Xavier say, we should tell him. This suggests to me, if that's a real line, that some knowledge that possibly separate from Strange's many crimes against the multiverse, (laughs) that Strange assumes something, knows something about his own reality that is in fact false, which suggests to me that the Illuminati, again, if this line is legit, is hiding something in 616. Yes. On on Earth, they have been masking something. Now, in in the comics, Illuminati, they, their entire existence is kept secret. It's kept secret from literally everyone who should know about it. They go on missions that no one knows about. um, And again, hide stuff behind the scenes. Do we think that there's a world in which the Illuminati has been hiding the existence of mutants or something inside uh, the 616 reality, much in the way that like the Eternals exist, but have just been staying out of stuff? I could definitely see that, especially because I think that if you have the Illuminati having like a great, they have many missions, right? They're the fingers right. in many cosmic pies. So to me, I'm like, you could do that in a way that didn't feel utterly unbelievable because you could have had them, the Illuminati has been hiding mutants on earth for five years since the blip or for 10 right. years since, you know, this other existence. It doesn't have to be that they've been there forever. It doesn't have to be an Eternals or an Inhumans living on the moon. Like, I think that that is very likely because I think they're really trying to find a way and it would make sense for Charles to be the leader because he has this love and care for, for for mutant kind or people with powers. I also think it could be like something along the lines of like, you know, we need to tell him that he didn't actually close the portal. <laughs> right, like yeah. he wiped Peter's mind <laughs> yeah, and yeah. now the multiverse yeah, is yeah. here. So I think right. there's like really cool. I think it's a really exciting trailer because there's like so many options and so many kind of like, there's so many spaces because we haven't even talked about Wanda yet, who is clearly going to be like the co-leading character in this movie slash possibly sadly for us, the antagonist. Let's do that. Let's talk about Wanda through this. So one of the things that I don't think anybody is talking about, we've been, mm-hmm. we've been texting about this. Nobody is really talking about the line in the trailer in which Strange asks Wanda, what do you know about the multiverse? And she says, Viz thought it was dangerous. Yeah. This is like very quietly huge to me that, in standard continuity, Vision and Wanda had been talking about the multiverse when? Yeah. When did they know about it? What did they know about it? Uh, it up until recently in the, in the canon of the of the MCU, it's been in terms of people understanding it, knowing about it before they were just like dropped into the multiverse, it had been it had been extremely theoretical. Yeah. So, how were they talking about it and how does Vision have any ability to make uh, a judgment on what or what the uh, what not the multiverse possibly is, especially when you think about the timeline of Wonder Vision, because the Vision that we know yeah. is gone right. by the time that's that not Wanda him. Yeah. is considering 
using the multiverse or, or kind of using the dark hold to explore and try and find the kids. So I think this is really interesting and it kind of touches on something that we were talking about in pre-pro. We see these Ultron bots, right? And and right. and they are potentially these what if alt universe Killmonger Ultron bots. But the only thing I could think of when I thought about this, you know, shout out Venom, um, <laughs> is like maybe Vision had some, you know, the way that he's created in the comics is very different from the way he's created in the movies. In the comics, his right. brain is like a, a, a kind of a, a brain signal implant of a different character, Simon Williams, Wonder Man. Right. But in the movie, he has this unbelievable, I just, I love his movie origin so much, which is this mixture of this artificial intelligence that has this great understanding of everything in the world because of the internet. And then the love and care of these scientists in, you know, Banner and Tony, and also the the magical god of thunder. Yeah, Yeah. And also Thor. You know, he loves Thor yeah. so much when he gets brought to life that he chooses to make a cape because he sees Thor's cape. Yeah. So I wonder if there's some kind of world in which Vision's understanding of the multiverse and the universe was that if there were other Ultron bots or if Ultron existed in any other way, he could understand it. Because in Age of Ultron, we saw mm. the hive mind in that way that Ultron could control multiple bots and stuff. So I think there's something very interesting there. I also think that the uh I also think that the MCU is very cheeky and so is Kevin Feige. So like it's really likely that someone was just like, Vision's smart, he'd know it was dangerous. And they just put that in there <laughs> and we're like, oh my God. So I think, but I think that's really cool. And I I am forever dreaming of a WandaVision reunion. And I also love the gray white uh vision comics and the kind of journey that Wanda goes on there. So I'm hoping that that mention in the trailer means that Vision Mm. will be back in some way here. Now with Wanda, it's pretty clear that Wanda, at least judging from the trailer, is the villain of this story. It's going to be the villain of the story. Now in the comics, particularly recently, particularly since M-Day and House of M, I mean, you could go back to even, you know, the first appearance and a reveal of the true nature of Wanda's kids. And even, you know, Avengers Disassembled is technically, I'm going to put this in quotes, her fault. A lot of the way that the people in the Marvel comics think about Wanda is she's loved, she's beloved. Everyone understands what a what a caring mother she is to the children that she created. but. People are scared of her mm-hmm. in, in a kind of the same way they are scared of the Hulk in that she is so extremely powerful that when she gets mad, she gets sad, she goes through a bout of depression, whatever the case may be, she has the potential to change everything. Yeah. And so people are always very, very concerned about her. And I think that's what we're – it seems like that's what we're diving into now where Wanda has – grown in power, what we saw in WandaVision is incredible. Mm-hmm. Her, her ability to create a pocket universe with its own reality that she can switch all the time with ongoing backstories for all the people who are trapped inside of that it. That she's brainwashed. Plus, <laughs> that who she has brainwashed, plus the creation from whole cloth of multiple people who did not exist before and are essentially like living real people. That is 
an incredible amount of power and really scary. I want to. So there's a moment where Strange goes to uh, mm-hmm. see Wanda in the in the trailer, and we see her like in an orchard. Now, in the recent um, Trial of Magneto limited series, there is a new location that is uh, that we see in that series called the Eldritch Orchard, which is kind of like a like a magical a realm of the mind or another reality that an older version of Wanda lives in and I wonder if that's what we're seeing here. I actually think that's a great call and I think bringing up Trial of Magneto which is this five issue series Leah Williams wrote it uh, art by Lucas Wernick it's really good um and I and the Eldritch Orchard I think is really good uh catch because I think this whole book is going to be important I'm not going to tell you the full story but I can tell you the setup which is Wanda appears to have been killed and they're trying to find out who did it but what it really becomes is an exploration of Wanda, Wanda's impact, Wanda's life. Yes. And the Eldritch Orchard seems to me to be in these trailers because- I agree. There is, in the first trailer we saw from No Way Home, which we all watched a lot and we talked about a lot, we see Strange first speak to Wanda in this space with all these trees. And I was dreaming that it was Mount Wondergore because I love Mount Wondergore. I love the high evolutionary. I love weird animal. <laughs> Google Bova. <laughs> Google Bova. Everybody yeah. loves Everybody loves Bova, mostly me. But no, I think it's the Eldritch Orchard. (laughs) We see these like beautiful kind of blossoming trees. And that was the only place we saw them. So we thought, oh, maybe it's a farm. Maybe that's her safe space. But in this trailer, when we see the Defender Strange statue outside this huge Sanctum Santorum, we see those trees again, completely out of place. So I think in that way, I think you're right. I think there are parts of this movie that are going to be in Wanda's mind whether because she's done something terrible or because she's coming to terms with something terrible that happened to her. You were talking about her powers and it just makes me think that I love Elizabeth Olsen as Wanda so much and I especially love Wanda in this phase. But the Wanda of the MCU has a lot of similarities tonally, visually with Jean Grey from the X-Men. I couldn't help but think about that, particularly in the scene in which the two Wandas are facing mm-hmm. each other in the house, the kind of bloody Wanda and Wanda who is uh, yeah. sitting cross-legged on the floor. And when, you know, she there's this brilliant line that just, it, it really hints that in amongst all the horror, we're going to get some really deep emotional stuff. She says to Doctor Strange, she says, you know, you break the rules and you're the hero and I break right. them and I'm the enemy. That doesn't seem fair. And um, I just feel like this movie could be a swan song to the end of this version of Wanda, if not for any other reason, because you can't really have this Wanda live alongside a Jean Grey. If we're about to go into an X-Men world, I would love to see it, but I feel like they're so similar in threat level, in power, in emotion, in trauma, that it's unlikely. So I think this could be an even more Wanda-heavy movie than we've kind of seen in the trailers so far. I would add that in the comics, there is this idea of a nexus being... Mm -hmm who throughout the different variations of the timeline remain basically constant from reality yeah. to reality. And can connect because, to every reality. And can connect to them. Their existence is, in fact, essential to the flow of time throughout the multiverse. I bet we dive into that aspect yeah. of it as well, where Wanda, it's aside from being extremely powerful, ability to create her own realities is this like hinge point figure across the multiverse that is 
going to be dangerous in a way that people are really threatened by. I definitely think so. People who watched uh, WandaVision will notice there was a lot of Nexus Easter eggs. Yeah. The medication that she takes in one of the adverts is called Nexus. In the comics, Wanda is the Nexus. She is introduced as the first Nexus being in a really funny issue where Kang is trying to marry her. But yeah. even though the issue is quite outrageous, you learn a lot. And there's this deep connection between the power that Wanda has and the power that Kang wants. And also the TVA plays a large part in that. So I think the Nexus being stuff could come in, especially because we're entering a horror era. We see something that looks like the Nexus of all realities, which is where they all meet, which could be where the Illuminati is. It could be that kind of doorway that Strange and America yeah. and Christine Palmer are looking through. And if that's the case, like, look out for you know i don't think he's going to be in this movie but as we move towards this horror space uh the nexus of all realities is where marvel's giant size man thing lives who's their kind of yeah. swamp thing he's one of those horror characters his name is incredible and that so i just think there's a lot of interesting stuff we're really diving into the weirder parts of the marvel universe i, I love it and then finally i gotta how does kang this is the thing i can't help but think about we've jonathan majors we know he's uh, going to play Kang. We watched him play Kang in uh, Loki. He has been presented as or thought of as kind of big bad of this phase of the MCU. So how does he come into all of this, if at all? Is he moving pieces around to try and make something happen? Is he not involved in Multiverse of Madness at all? I can't imagine that Especially in a in a movie that is you know written by the the showrunner, who, <laughs> the, the showrunner of Loki, like it's it Michael Waldron is involved in both projects. It feels like there has to be some sort of Kang, yeah, crossover reference something. He has to be involved in this somehow, and that is the part that I can't figure out. Me neither. I would be really interested to know if if this Illuminati is made of variants and it's a multiversal Illuminati. Uh, Illuminati was it founded by Kang at some point mm. in the past? Or was it made to try and stop Kang and the TVA? Is there, it seems like that would be the easy connection. Also like the, you know, so when we talk about councils in, in comics, one of the most famous recurring councils are these Marvel councils that they do with multiple characters. So you have the Council of Kangs. Yeah. Yes. You know, there's a version, if you want to be really it's out very, there. very Rick and Morty yeah. for, the, for the Rick and Morty fans out there. That's where they got the idea. Yeah, this will be a very familiar uh, setup for all of you. There's a, Reed Richards, there's a Council of Reeds. And so, you know, there's always an interesting aspect of this where we discover that, you know, each of these people is actually just the Kang from a different reality who became that hero. Yeah. You never know, like Kang works in mysterious ways, but to have this huge multiversal crisis just after meeting the He Who Remains version of Kang who explains the multiverse, it seems like he's going to need to show up or maybe a Kang stinger showing like how you said he was moving the pieces. Yeah. And then finally, I just want to add that when this trailer dropped, uh, you know, many, lots of people were theorizing, oh, my God, the Illuminati, who's going to be in it? Who could we see? Who, what other cameras are going to be? And then people, uh, some people were like tweeting at me, uh, I'll go to, go to, you know, the Marvel Cinematic Universe leaks Reddit. And I just want to say, for anybody that goes to the leaks Reddit, God bless you. Good for you. Enjoy if, it. If that's the way you engage with this material, I there's nothing wrong with it. It's absolutely fine. The way I engage with this material, and Rosie, <laughs> you're the same way, is I will never go to the Marvel Leaks Reddit. Mm -hmm. For me, 
you know, it's like that line in Heat. Uh, for me, the action is the juice. Yeah. For me, the theorizing is the juice. I love doing this. This is what I've always loved doing. This is how I've always talked about comics. It's I love like, being like, oh, who's going to show up? What does this mean? I, this is what it's about yeah. for us. It's really, it's hard to explain to people like, and this is why hopefully you listen, you know, you don't want to be the people yeah. up to like, midnight looking I had that yeah. poster on my phone I'm taking screen grabs I'm circling it I'm marking <laughs> yeah. it up I'm messaging it to Jason I'm like Shh, I think this is fucking like Cyclops like oh my god is this Strife's helmet that stuff is what we love and that's the way we interact with it because I think that's very much how comics makes you react because like yes yeah like uh if you go on my Twitter there's a me as Charlie Day like meme where I'm just I mean on uh, Instagram there's me as Charlie Day just like putting together all the kind of things that's what comics make you do because you don't know what's going to happen from one week to the next so you're like oh my god and this is an extended version of that so i think for us yeah. that's really the fun but you know what if you like going into this like knowing everything that's like going to happen that, that's also yeah. awesome like live it up but sadly for you you're you're going to be here listening to our outrageous theories and then if we get something right you will hear us celebrating <laughs> that's correct now uh, for those of you who are thinking oh man i can't wait uh i'm getting into comics or I, uh, and i want to read some stuff that maybe will get me prepped for a multiverse of madness uh, here's a, sh- a, sh- a short pull list of some stuff that you can that you can check out. Check out uh, the Trial of Magneto, which we mentioned, X-Men Trial of Magneto, five issues that explores, again, the impact that Wanda has on the Marvel uh, Comics universe. Check out House of M, which is kind of like eight core issues, but like lots of House of M tie-in issues if you want to go deep on it, which is, again, Wanda casts a spell that causes mutants to run the world. So uh, check out the Illuminati comic, which then became Jonathan Hickman's New Avengers Mm -hmm. comic, in which the Illuminati struggle to save Earth-616 from other realities that are physically crashing into it, threatening to destroy it. Uh, If you want to know, you know, like this is an aside, but like one of the things we were talking about is like, you know, an easy criticism of the Illuminati is, oh, it's all guys. It's all these dudes. The fun thing about the Illuminati, (laughs) though, the fun thing about it, though, is that, yes, they are all guys who want to keep a secret and think they know better than everybody else. They fuck everything up to a significant Mm -hmm. degree. All they do is is step on their own dicks constantly yeah. throughout the course. Of this. Uh, but check that out. So it, uh, they first appear in New Avengers 7, uh, Bendis' run with Steve McNiven uh, doing the art. And then it goes into the Illuminati series, which then becomes uh, New, New Avengers. Avengers. Yeah. Check out, gosh, Marvel Zombies is a great one. Yeah, really fun. S- if you like zombies and you like Marvel, check out Marvel Zombies. We touch on him, but there's like a Franken-Strange kind of zombie strange yeah. that we see. Um, I think the Young Avengers, the Jamie McKelvey, Kieran Gillen era, uh, if you want to know about America Chavez, that's really like the place to go. We talk about that book a lot. It's stunning. Um, the the first Young Avengers run is really wonderful as well, but this is the place to get to know America Chavez, in my opinion. Uh, she was first to, uh, introduced in the 2011 series Vengeance in the first issue by Joe Casey and Nick Dragotta. So if you want to go there to the source, you can learn a bit more about the utopian parallel, where she comes from. Shuma Gorath, if you want to learn about him, there is not a great collection yet, but I did write an article on Nerdist. We can put it in the show. Check it out. We can put it in the show notes. It lists every single issue, beginning with his first appearance in Marvel Premiere, going into kind of where we really get to know him. Because the funny thing about Shumagorath is the first few mentions were just a name. Uh, the name that led to him not being in this movie because it was a Robert E. Howard poem. And yeah, and 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 you can kind of go through that journey 
of him and Strange, which I think could be very important here because there's there's some early issues where he's sort of saying to Strange, like, if you fight me, you will become me. And it's kind of that duality yeah. of like cosmic evil. So I think that if you want to read Savage Land stuff, the best thing to really do is to just read the eight, the Claremont uh, Uncanny X-Men stuff. Yes. And if you just put Claremont Uncanny X-Men Savage Land, you will find it. You will find what you, you will need find to find. It. Yeah, that's a lot of really rad comics that you can kind of start on. I think that the, I think House of M and Trial of Magneto that Jason pointed out are really like key. And also Illuminati is fun. Like Bendis was posting pictures from it when they appeared in the trailer. So we know that is going to be key. That's going to be it. That's going to be it. And it, again, it is really fun. It recontextualizes a lot of big events from the Marvel uh, canon, including the Kree Scroll War, mm-hmm. other stuff. I'm really excited for our next guest in the Hive Mind section. Uh, Jason Manzukis is going to join us. On May 10th, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes is coming to IMAX and theaters everywhere. This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. I stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Only in theaters May 10th. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. When your space has the long-lasting, noticeable scent of Airwick Vibrant Essential Mist, you'll want to invite everyone over. From book club to reality TV watch parties, even the in-laws. It smells amazing. Airwick Vibrant Essential Mist is infused with two times more essential oil versus regular Airwick Essential Mist for our most authentic, nature-inspired fragrance experience. Airwick Vibrant Essential Mist is perfectly portable and effortlessly easy. The way fragrance should be. Now that's a breath of fresh Airwick. Welcome to the Hive Mind, where we dive into a topic with the help of a guest today. The topic is comics, how much we love them, what we're reading, how we came to love them. And today, Rosie and I are joined by podcaster, actor, performer, one of the greatest Jasons currently alive in the world, the great, the wonderful Jason Manzukis for another installment of the fan favorite comics corner. Jason, how are you? I am thrilled to be here. I'm very excited. This is one of my favorite segments of the show as a listener, so I was delighted to be invited to be a part of this one. You're so sweet. Jason, let's let's get let's get right into it. Like uh the first thing we want to talk about is what's your origin story with comics? How did you get into comics? What made you fall in love with the with the medium? Yeah, I'm trying to think. I think I suspect my, you know, I'm 49. Um, and I think my first exposure to comics was really kind of spinner rack at mm-hmm. the drugstore, yeah. kind of when when you're running errands with your mom um, and you are allowed to just kind of sit over by the magazine rack and the spinner and there's a spinner rack with comics on it. <laughs> um, Spider-Man was absolutely my introductory character, the character that as a kid I was obsessed with. Um And then as I kind of got a little bit older, I got very heavily into I was I am the age of Claremont um, uh, X-Men. 
The number and one so, comic. <laughs> so that for me, and I hit that hit me right at the right age. So Claremont's X Men, and then especially New Mutants, the Bill Sankevich uh, yeah. drawn New Mutants, like that, like the Demon Bear saga, all that stuff. Yeah, that was like right when I was like obsessed with comics. Yeah, all of the. Mojo verse and all the kind of stuff, all the kind of weird, wacky kind of X Men stuff, and and as but as, like that really was like my um my comics reading was kind of rigid. You know, you didn't have a lot of money, you didn't have a lot of yeah. you couldn't the way I do now, kind of just spread it around and read a lot of stuff and and or or I didn't know to like follow writers or artists that I liked. I just read X Men and anything mm-hmm. X Men, and then. But, like, I didn't read an Iron Man comic book and prob- probably until I was, like, in my 20s or something like that, you know? Um, and then in college, there was a comics shop uh, in town, and I would go, and that was, like, one of my first experiences with having, like, a pull list. Oh, wow. How did you get your first pull list? Did you just, like, ask them? Just, yeah. Like, yeah, well, I said, you know, like, they, well, the guy told me about it. I think I was mm-hmm. coming in and buying the yeah. same comics, and he said, we'll do a pull list for you. We'll set aside... It seems like you read the X-Men and this and blah, 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 blah. And, and I was like, oh, yeah. And that was like, I don't know about for you guys, but that oh, seemed yeah. like I had been let oh, yeah. in on a secret thing. Dude, I remember the first time I realized that like it was a subscription, but you didn't have to pay up front. You could just be like, I yeah. want all these comics. And they were like, yeah. okay. And then you come in and you pay for them. And I was like, wow, what kind of wild life is this? The pull list is magical. Me and Jason, we're always telling people who listen like, Go out and get a pull list. It's like a powerful feeling. It's a great experience. My first experience with the pull list was I used to go to this place called Heroes World, which uh, on Long Island, which was actually, I later found out, was a chain of comic stores that was actually like run by Marvel or used as a distributor Mm. by Marvel directly. And that was where I first spent my actual money on a comic for the first time, not like convince my mom to buy me something <laughs> off the drug spinner. Yeah. I did this. I did the same thing. Every time I'd go to the barber shop or the drugstore, I would be like, can I have that? It usually, it would either be like ROM, the space night mm-hmm. yep. or GI Joe, something like that. Sure. But the first time I ever spent my own money was in heroes world at uncanny X-Men 212 during the mutant massacre. And oh, wow. I very quickly got into the pull list world from that. I was coming back. I was buying uncanny X-Men Avengers, Daredevil and you know and the uh, and the, the related X books New Mutants X Force yeah and you know it was the same thing like second or third week the the, the gentleman was like hey do you want to just put them down put a pull list you come in every Wednesday and get them I'm like yes it fe- <laughs> it, and it <laughs> was happening. the same you know pre pre internet as a yes. guy in my forties it felt like you had been let into some some realm where now you're part of the community and you can There's talk a you. secret thing, you know, like yeah. they, you get to be like, they they like now know you and they're like, do you want to do, you know, you can do this. And it felt like so exciting. Rosie, what was the, what was your first? When I was a kid, I li- I'm from London and we, so we didn't, I never really had the, the drugstore kind of spinner experience, which I hear about so wonderfully here. The North American <laughs> pre- uh, direct market comics world. But the first place I ever bought comics from was just the news agents, like a bodega, basically. Oh, yeah. And and they would just have them on the site and it was always X-Men. And it was really funny yeah. because it was like my experience of buying X-Men was like some of them were like old, pro- and this was in like the early 90s. So some of them were like proper 
he'd just randomly have like uncanny issues. And then some of them were like crazy 90s holographic cover, like everything. Just and and I just that was like my absolute fave. And like I lived in this area called Hackney and it was like we didn't have a car. It was like a 45 minute to an hour bus ride to central London where Forbidden Planet was. And so once okay. or twice a year, we would get to go there and I could go through the back issue bins. I could pick them out. I could buy the weird discount manga and stuff like that. And and that to me, the, the old Forbidden Planet in London, the back of it used to be just this circle of back issue bins, but it was huge. Like a, And I would just be in there. Oh my God. Oh my I God, love the oh back issue bins. And that, I, that idea of wasting time in a comic shop digging through long boxes. Yeah. And uh, for me also simultaneously sp- killing hours in a record store, mm-hmm. a used record Same store thing. digging yeah. through record bins. Like for me living in New York City in like the late 90s, early 2000s, you know, I be getting done with my shitty day job and I was going to do comedy later that night and I'd just have hours to kill. Yeah. It was record stores and comic shops and it was just sifting through old stuff. It was the best. So since we're uh, all X-Men fans here, like what was it that made you fall in love with that team? You know, the X-Men obviously are, are very much in the zeitgeist right now, considering that uh, we can all assume that Charles Xavier speaks in the <laughs> in the Doctor Strange of the Multiverse. I mean, what is that seems <laughs> unquestionable at this point. It's right, right. It's him. I mean, it's him. It's a bald guy who <laughs> sounds a lot like Patrick Stewart. It's him. Um, uh, so what was it that grabbed you? Because it, it, that was the team that grabbed my heart. And I had read... My cousin's comics at that time. So I'd read mm-hmm. Avengers. I'd read a lot of Iron Man. I read a lot of Hulk. I'd, I was familiar with a lot of the, uh, specifically the Marvel Universe stuff. But it was the X-Men that I grabbed to. What was it about the X-Men that grabbed you, Jason? I think it's twofold for me. I think there was an otherness to them. Like that they were underdogs. They were they were a yeah. team of people. The mutants were, you know, society didn't like them. They were underdogs. They were they were, and it was it was. I think simultaneously they were othered in that way that I kind of glommed onto. And the other thing that really hit me was, for besides Spider Man, who I would who I loved, they very much were like there were. It was a school, and there were people my age on yeah. the team. Mm-hmm. And so, and that's why I think I especially, once New Mutant, once a team happened of teenagers, it was my favorite book. You know, it was my absolute favorite book. Um, So I think it was like, I I saw like a little bit of like myself in all of it. You know, there was like, because what X-Men would do so expertly is do something that I would later love in shows like Buffy the Vampire mm-hmm. Slayer or stuff like yeah. that, which is they would be telling you these large, huge stories of, um, you know, you know, world shattering import. And the, the X-Men would have to kind of combat the Sentinels and all this stuff. But there would also be like high school dramas playing yeah. out. There would also yeah. be teen romances playing out. And all of that was for me, like, like completely what I wanted to, all I wanted was to be going through puberty and mean that yes. that, that one of my, that my mutant power yeah. was about to <laughs> yeah. manifest. Everyone wanted that. That's the dream. What yeah. is it yeah. going to be? Because yeah. that was the amazing thing about mutants was that it came at puberty. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so I felt like it's happening soon. Yeah. You know, it's what will it be? Yeah. I think like you touched on something that definitely was the thing for me. It was like, that run and the X-Men in general, like they definitely established a lot of the tropes that I would 
realize I loved as I move forward. Cause like for me, the school aspect, the found family aspect, I think that was what yeah. I really liked. I loved this idea that all these different people could meet and be put in this unbelievable situation. And they just like became friends. Or they like And also dating. a school of kids, and I don't know how you guys felt, but a school of kids who are just like me? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Oh my God. I mean, you know? it's it's so funny. It's essentially like, I was talking to this author, uh, Shona McGuire, who ma- writes these unbelievable portal fantasy books for Tor.com uh, called Every Heart a Doorway is the first one. And she said to me, she said, X-Men is basically just a British boarding school story. <laughs> But Funny. like with superheroes. And I was like, oh my God, it's so true. Like, that's why when you think about the X-Men, yeah, and people say to you, like, what do you love about them? Obviously, you love the demon bear. You love the weird stuff. But you're like, I love it when they play baseball. I love it. Exactly. Yeah. Oh I love my God, it. That's sad. At the end of an arc, uh, you know, once the thing is is done, once the big battle has happened, there's always an issue where they're playing baseball yeah. or they're I having a barbecue. And it's great. Yeah, for me, it, it was very, very much in the vein of what you both are talking about. Listen, if you like comics, like the com- nerds are run the world now. But this is a very recent development. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, there is a, a certain feeling that you have about, you know, th- are you in step with life or do you feel accepted by the kids at school? Do you feel cool? Uh, are you looking for that thing that you're good at? And when I was having those feelings is exactly when I hit the meat of mm-hmm. the X-Men, uh, the X-Men run that I fell in love with. Like Mutant Massacre was it for me. Yeah. Same thing with the new mutants when when uh, that struggle to be to be good enough to be called up to the main X-Men team, that constant drama uh, that was really huge. I think as a kid, I was definitely looking for my place in the world and to connect with a team of, you know, these aren't the cool heroes. Mm-mm. Nobody likes them. Even, even you know, the Avengers kind of don't trust them, despite the fact that there's been multiple X, uh, X-Men, X X-X-Men and mutants that have <laughs> been on the Avengers team. They're kind of like distrusted, not to mention that the Avengers, as like a de facto arm of the government, you could argue, have been like quietly complicit in a lot of the bad stuff that's happened to the mutants. And I just like big time connected with them. And then the, the soap opera aspect mm-hmm. can't be underrated. Like uh, the, I was so embarrassingly invested in the romance between like Rogue and Gambit. Gambit, oh my a God. character Dude, who I on. hate. I fucking don't like Gambit. <laughs> and I, I hate Gambit. I, I, I hate Gambit. I was so unbelievably invested in that romance. I cannot tell you. It was <laughs> it was fucking embarrassing. Dude. Like, I just wanted the best for them. I know, and now it was sick. Now you realize you're like, oh Gambit, like he's a fucking creep. Like he's real he's- old. Like, what the <laughs> there's, oh, yeah. there's this great uh there's this great X-Men miniseries by Michael Walsh, uh, this unbelievable artist, and uh, Max Bemis called Worst X-Men Ever. And it's like about this kid who has the worst <laughs> X-Men power. It's so good. It plays into everything we love. But the whole there's a there's a through line through that of these writers who grew up on these stories like us. And the the story, like the through line of Gambit is he just always has like a young girlfriend and everyone thinks uh. he's a creep. And it's like, <laughs> it, it kind of blows my mind when we're talking about this stuff. Like you were talking about the romance. The, the people who are creating X-Men now, like they are the same, they're our generation, right? So like you have, there's a reason that there is like sexual tension and romance between like Scott, Gene and Wolverine in these Krakoa yeah. books because yeah, that yeah, is yeah, what yeah. we saw. We were like, that is so important. The, these oh, weird, yes. 
these weird kind of love interests and and these kind of intergenerational stories. Like when you're a kid, you don't really get, you either get to see stories about kids or stories about adults. You don't really get to live in a world where there are adults who are actually useful, but there are also adults who are bad. And those adults treat the kids with a certain level of respect or equality that you don't really get. So I just think there's, yeah, there's just so much in it that is just such a joy. And I, I love meeting other people who that for them was the most foundational thing. Oh, absolutely. Those are the stories. Those are, those you are know, those are my stories. I didn't grow up with Harry Potter or, you know, I guess, you know, they, we had like, you know, the Chronicles of Narnia, I guess, was as mm -hmm. close as we got, you know, but... Those weren't interesting to me. I loved these characters and these stories, and they were so foundational to me. Okay, what is everybody uh, reading right now that they are excited about? This is uh, this is uh, one of my favorite topics. Whenever I meet other comics fans, like, what are you reading? What are you reading? I'm always asking that the uh, the people at my local comic shop. What are you reading? What what's oh, good? What's what's, good? what's out right now? What's good, uh, Jason? What are you reading right now that you are super excited about? You know. I've got like I've got I'm 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 like I've got two of my lists open um cuz I write down everything that I watch everything I read everything I listen to so I've got that open and I made like a smaller list to talk about today I'm I'm assuming we're all thrilled that Saga is back yes absolutely um, I you know and you know there's uh, you know I we, we can't talk about it all that much there's only been one issue yeah. so great but Boy, am I thrilled that, that one of my favorite ongoing uh, comic series is back. And I'm I'm excited to see where, you know, where we go in the next hundred and some odd uh, issues that we have left. You know, I'm I'm going to enjoy every minute of it. Saga gave me the, the latest issue that uh, after coming back after three years off, gave me a feeling that I cherish in storytelling, which is a hatred. I hate the will. <laughs> So fucking much. I like. I hate when, when seeing he him has prosper. Marco's skull. I Ouch. lost my mind. I, I hate seeing him prosper. I hate seeing him uh, back in shape mm -hmm. and looking yes. good. Looking I good. hate. I hate that his bounty hunter uh, Lance and all his stuff works again. I hate that he yeah. got laid in that issue. <laughs> I fucking hate him so much. I hate him. I hate him. I hate him. And I love that feeling because yeah. I want nothing oh. but the worst for him. And also, like, I just, I, I love, I said this before about this issue, but, like, I know if you have not read Saga, you're like, what are you guys talking about? But I promise you, the most magical thing about this issue is you can read it and have never read an issue of Saga and you will just want to know what's going on. It is yes. such a brilliant, yes. it's a brilliant return. And if, you, if you've been waiting for Brian and Fiona to come back and like the way uh. Fiona does that sex scene is just so brilliant. Uh. But like, it's like one of the best sexiest comics in the world. But it's also a brilliant jumping on point. You get a new in-character voice who you can follow along with. You get to meet all these really engaging characters. It's a super-sized issue. So then if you just want to go out and buy Saga uh, 55, you can. You can, And then you can just go back and read it from the beginning and learn how you got yeah. there. And I think that is such a hard balance to grasp. Like, it's just It's unreal. an incredible trick that they've created in a very heavily serialized story, yeah. a new jumping on point. Mm -hmm. And that is really hard to do. You know, yeah. I was going to say one of my favorite uh, writers working today in comics is Mark Russell um, mm. and who's doing like incredible storytelling, social satire, 
you know, commentary on the world that we live in. He's doing it inside of mm-hmm. books like The Flintstones. The Flintstones is my favorite Mark <laughs> Russell book the, and one of the best comics about gentrification ever to exist. It's unbelievable. And Barney and Fred suffer from PTSD from a war that they fought in. <laughs> when I tell you that one of the best comics of the last five years is a series of Flintstones books, it, it blows people's minds. It. The Snagglepuss book that he wrote, incredible. Billionaire Island, I thought was really good. Anyway, he just finished a um, a Marvel run on Fantastic Four Life Story, which is which I thoroughly enjoyed because it's again it's a self contained piece. They did one for Spider Man. Uh, Chip Zdarsky did one for Spider Man a couple of years ago, um, and this one I thought was great. And it's basically it allows for. A retelling of a classic origin story as if it happened moving forward in time. Mm-hmm. So it allows for the for the for the Fantastic Four to start in the 50s and then grow into the 2000s and and age. You know, story because these are characters that never really age. They, you know, Marvel characters they're they're always rebooting. They're yeah. always young, and so I just loved it. And it's a way for him to talk about these characters and this story, but it's also a way for him to talk about stuff that's going on contemporary society, you know, and talk about issues that people are facing, you know, and each each issue is told from a different character's point of view. So those are really interesting. I really love them. Um, the artist's name is Sean, and I'm, I might not pronounce this right, Izatsky, who is gorgeous, and the stuff is great. And I loved that book, and it just wrapped up. It was only six issues. It was terrific. Wow, I'm I'm currently uh, buying the Mark Russell's Flintstones. It is uh, holy shit trade paperback. Oh, it was coming out when I worked at the shop, and we were just all like back in London, and we were just all like, "What the fuck?" It's like, next level. It makes no. You're blown away that that it's as good as it is, and it's the fucking Flintstones. It's like it's like the first thing that's really been reminiscent again in that like DC space of um, when Grant Morrison would take stuff on like Animal Man and you'd just be like, sure, what the fuck? Like, this is what you, this is where you went with it. So it's like, I love to see people taking advantage of those licenses. Oh yeah. And he did it. You know what? He did a great, he did two other great runs on licensed um, properties. One was Red Sonja um, and the other was the Lone Ranger. He does a great arc on the Lone Ranger that was terrific. And again, these are characters I sought out these books because Mark mm-hmm. Russell was doing them, not right. because I have any, I don't care about the Lone Ranger, you know, but <laughs> yes. it was a terrific story that he told, you know, uh, same with Red Sonia. That's what I like now is being able to follow these people through the twists and turns of them popping up here and there and then having their own title or having their own book or whatever. Rosie, what are you reading right now that you are excited oh, I'm about? I'm reading so much good stuff. The one thing I, I'm always shouting out that I love that this is, I think the newest issue just came out, but like Nubia and the Amazons, which is this kind of, it's Wonder Woman's sister. It's uh, Stephanie Williams, Vita Ayala, Aletha Martinez, who's like an absolute comic book legend artist. So black creative team just telling this most badass Themyscaran story. So if you like that, like fantasy, it's a little bit swords and sorcery, but it's a little bit radical. It's really reimagining like, what Wonder Woman and Themyscira is. So I've been really digging on that. And I love to see Aletha on this like big, badass kind of ongoing story. So that's really fun. Uh, another DC one is uh, Nightwing, the new issue. Oh. I, I had to bring it because this is the one. So it's Nightwing 87. And I'm showing the Jasons a very saucy cover right now. Ooh, <laughs> like, that, is, the, that is. Very cheesecakey. <laughs> but this is... 
the famous, if you want to go to your comic shop and get this, you're going to want to get it because these don't exist very often. This is Tom Taylor and Bruno Redondo doing oh, a nice. one shot. The entire story is just one long oh, shot. Oh, interesting. So yeah. every page leads on. I actually have two copies of it so that I, I can put it together. Oh, that's and, really cool. And read it. So that's a really cool one that's going on. Um, I read a lot of manga. So that I'm reading. That's a world that I am Same. literally ignorant. It of. is. <laughs> having a pull list, ironically, at my local comic shop, which is so wonderful in Long Beach, uh, Pulp Fiction, totally badass. All the books are always at least 20. Should we all shout out Everyone our local shout shops? out your local yeah, comic shop. Mine is Secret Headquarters in Silver Lake. Um, also, mine is also Secret I love Secret Headquarters. Where I, was where I was told that I have the largest pull list they have. <laughs> yeah, baby. That's an honor. I, Secret Headquarters. I was like, wait, what? I don't know if that's good or bad. No, oh, it's no. good. It's good. Secret Headquarters, I have such a fond memory of that. The first time I ever came to LA, like years ago when I was like 22 or 23, I went in there and they had this signed Love and Rockets comic, which is like one of my all-time favorite comics. It's a collection, right? By the Hernandez brothers. And in the front, it was signed by Jaime. And um, and I just freaked out and it was like $10. And the woman was like, you know what? Let me just go in the back. And she went in the back and I bought this $10 collection, like not even expensive at all. And she went in the back and got this signed Love and Rockets poster that they'd had wow. since since the Hernandez bros had done a signing there. And she bought it out and she's like, we were just waiting for the right person. And she just gave it to me. And I will oh, always go I'm, to that I, shop. And I just, I, it's, it's, I guarantee oh, that was Julie who did that. Just honestly, um, yes. the best, like I will never, I love that shop. It's, it's like far away from where I, far away for LA terms of where I live. Cause I live so South, but like, well, anytime I'm there, I will go in that shop and I'll patronize that shop because that is just, that's like one of my best ever comic book memories. Shout out to Chris and Julie uh, at Secret Headquarters. Always great people to talk to. Always, yes. uh, if you are like, if you're in the area mm -hmm. and you're looking for a new comic, you're not sure what to read, just talk to them about what's going on. Yeah, I, it is my favorite thing to do when in person. I will always say, what should I be reading that yep. I'm not reading? And I've been doing it over the pandemic. I'll just email them and be like, hey. Please let me know if there's anything that I should be made aware of or anything I should be checking out. You know, just put it in my next kind of batch mm -hmm. because, you know, it's been really one of the things in the pandemic has been really hard is I've not been going to the shop yep. uh, yeah. other than to just pick up, you know. Yeah. No, it's such a community thing. Like to be able to return like recently, like in the last couple of months, I've, I've felt a bit more comfortable about like going in because like my Ryan yeah. and Annie who run Pulp Fiction are so wonderful. It's masks heavy, all that to be able to have that little bit of community connection again and to ask in yeah. person and to not be doing your pull list online. It's, it's really special. It's a, it's a great place for people like us who love this stuff and just love to talk about it. And like what I didn't really realize till I moved to America and, and found Pop Fiction is like, you can get books like, like, trade paperbacks and collections and manga in your pull list. So now my pull list is oh, yeah. extensively expensive because basically <laughs> I, I, get, I get my single issues. Avengers Forever, that's another badass comic. Aaron Kuda's art is like 10 out of 10 if you want to add something Marvel. But like most of my pull list, whenever I get it, is just stacks of books now. It's just a manga. Oh, yeah. Because like, so so there's this, I will say, if you, you guys say, there's I love manga, I could talk about it all day, but... There's one series right now where if you're not reading manga, I think anyone can read it and love it. And it's called Mashal. And it is, it's so funny. Spell it. M-A-S-H-L-E. And it's okay. Mashal, Magic and muscle, Muscles. And it's from Viz. 
And it's up to about five volumes now, but the first one is just like one of the best first volumes of anything I've ever read. And it's basically like a Harry Potter riff where it's about oh, a cool. kid. The thing is, it's like Harry Potter. You know what? We did, we can leave it in the past. So let's find this new version, which is this hilarious. It's like a kid who grows up in the shadow of a Hogwarts-esque school, but he can't do magic. But it's illegal to not do magic in the community. So he has to kind of stay hidden, but he's just really buff. And he's like super, super <laughs> hench. And, um, and he spends all this time working out and essentially ends up in a situation where he has to go to the magic school to prove he can do magic. And he can't. And he just is a himbo who loves eating like cream puffs. But because he's so buff and strong, anytime anyone does any magic, he can just beat it with his muscles. And it is oh, just like, funny. it's one of the funniest comics I've read in like a really long time. Ooh, that sounds great. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to get that. To the full list. Ordered. My, let's see, my pick, uh, this is a Chris recommendation at uh, Secret headquarters it is a new masters by uh shobo coker and shove coker a nigerian creative team and it is uh like a uh set in the 21st century kind of like an afrofuturist techno scavenger story uh only one issue out right now but the art and the writing is really fun it was extremely taken in by it and that is a that's a great recommendation from chris at uh secret headquarters i'm reading the good asian yeah so good always good to shout every week we'll shout out that book baby that book is so terrific yes it's on my list as well so good uh it, it just if you like noir if you want to feel transported to an era of America through the lens of an Asian American detective, uh, a real hard boiled story, beautiful art, mm -hmm. great writing, check out The Good Asian. I think it's up to nine right now and, and extremely easy to catch up. You can catch up at any time. And then I don't know where this is going to go. And it's a super weird comic, but it, uh, the good people that brought you Ecstatics. Are back, Peter Milligan, oh, yeah. Michael Alred, Laura yeah. Alred with uh, the excellent issue one, which I just picked up. And it's that same kind of wacky. The art is so Is it good. canon? Uh, you're right. Do we know if it's canon? Uh, who cares? Like an, uh, basically an offshoot team of mutants who are also celebrities uh, are struggling to make it through this crazy world uh, in which they fight foes that are extremely deadly to the point that like the body count in the ecstatic <laughs> ecstatics books was off the charts. I mean, the whole team yeah. at one point dies. So uh, I extremely happy to have them back. And, you know, Michael Alred for me is like the ultimate exponent of like that kind of like DIY, like oh, yeah. punk zine art mm -hmm. style, but made palatable through the lens of comic books. Really excited to have it back. Uh, that's the stuff I'm reading. Uh, yeah, oh, I'm excited uh, for that too. The other thing that I was going to shout out was because I will also like follow artists or follow creators that I just adore throughout whatever. Um, and one of those people is James Stoko, oh, who um, has yeah. a, who has just an incredible art style and is one of these people who is who is writing and drawing and lettering all of his own books. Uh, and he has a new book right now called Orphan and the Five Beasts that is so sumptuous to dig into and so gorgeous to, to just like pour over. It is terrific and worth seeking out. And if you if you like it and you like his style, seek out the Godzilla, story, the say, Godzilla book he did a couple dude, of years ago that is absolutely mental. It's, it's the best Godzilla comic ever. Like ever. I, I adore it. It's, it changed 
the lane of how you could tell those stories. There's it, yep. it's silent. It's Godzilla. You know, it's it, and his art is unbelievable. There's this. Uh, most comic shops will probably have a copy or can order you. Uh, there's this James Stokoe art book called Sobek that is just yeah. absolutely stunning. Like that is. There's one called Grunt, I believe, yeah. as well. If you yeah. if you as a kid, right, liked Where's Waldo, or as English people call it, Where's Wally, and you love to look at something. <laughs> oh, interesting. Yeah. Wow. Very, I had okay. no idea. Yeah, you did not know that. And that's that's the case. I feel like that's because Waldo is British slang for something. <laughs> you know I what? feel like they were like. Well, we can't call it Waldo because that's British slang for penis. <laughs> yeah. I think people have just never heard of the name Waldo. When I came in England, when I came here, I was like, what the hell? No one's called Waldo. I think the bad guy even has like a different name as well. I can't remember. Funny. But if you, James Stoker always reminds me of like, if you were a kid and you like to go through and look at things intricately and sometimes you read through a comic and you're like, that took me too quick. I want to be, I want to yep. be immersed. James Stoker is the guy. You can read anything by him. You can even look at an uh, art piece that he does on his Instagram and be there for hours. There's There's a Batman one shot that came out last year that he did. That is absolutely incredible. There are those people like when Paul Pope did Batman year 100, where you're like, Oh, this is a Batman I haven't seen. Mm -hmm. Or the Batman golden child episode, the uh, issue that came out last year that Raphael grandpa did like that. This is like a take on Batman. I've never seen it. I love it. You know, that's actually such a good point. Like something I think I love so much about comics that hopefully, you know, people can explore from this episode and other stuff is like when you get that iconic artist who has such a different artistic style, something, you know, I think about it a lot. If you reread the Grant Morrison, Frank Quietly X-Men stuff, the early stuff, those double page spreads he's doing of the Sentinels, you're just like, how did this get put out at a big two publisher? And that's where, that's where the magic happens, where you get to see this completely unique style on these characters you, you know and love. Man, that's some of my favorites. One more uh, for me, uh, Sea of Stars by Jason Aram and, and Just Dennis finished. Allen. Yeah, uh, great. Uh, super stuff. fun run. Beautiful. Uh, about a father and son and their journey through space. Imagine like the road, but a lot more hopeful set in uh, the space as imagined by Jason Aaron with like, you know, uh, space whales yeah. and uh, various creatures that can uh, breathe the quote unquote water of space, uh, so to speak, and swim through space as if it was an actual like medium and not a vacuum. It's really, really fun, really magical, uh, beautiful art. I, I, I quite enjoyed it. I'm just going to say one more just because it's coming out and you can put it on your poll lists or you can go to a bookshop. Marvel is doing these big collections with Penguin Classics. I got sent them and they haven't come out yet. But one of them is a Black Panther collection and it is... Um, it's Panther's Rage, which is usually is that a hardcover? Oh, yeah. yeah, it's it's a it's they do they are doing hard. Okay, I covers, see what it is. Yep. Okay, got but it. This one is like this, and it's they come with um introductions. This one had this by Neddy Okiafor, but this collects Panther's Rage, which is like one of the best old school Black Panther collections that has been very hard to find by with unbelievable art by Billy Graham, who's one of the first ever Black Big Two artists. And it is just 10 out of 10, like to be able to read it in this chunky collection. And it's only $28, which is actually really good for a giant collection. So yes, Panther's Rage, you will be able to read it easily. So go for it. One of the other things that it's just because it's ongoing, because a bunch of things on my list I made, I I put things that like are completed runs or completed or collected because some people don't like being on the hook for something that's ongoing. They like the idea of jumping into something that's a story they can tell. But one that is ongoing that I love because 
One of my favorites since the beginning has been Hellboy. Mm -hmm. You know, like I found Hellboy really early on and have been like a thorough. I read anything inside of the Hellboy universe. I love it. I've reread most of Hellboy over the course of the pandemic. But there's a book that I love that reminds me of Hellboy, but has jokes and fun and adventuring, uh, which is Headlopper. uh, Andrew McLean's book. Um, And it is. Such a good book, and it, it has a little bit of the he, uh, the Hellboy. I mentioned it in regards to Hellboy because it's all it has similar. It, it places itself inside of mythology, mm-hmm. inside of inside of stories and folk tales that that we might recognize or that we might recognize elements of. Um, but it has jokes, which I love that Hellboy really doesn't have. Um, and it's it's beautifully drawn. It's great adventure storytelling. It's about a guy who chops heads off, and and the, <laughs> and the the head of a witch, the sentient head of a witch, who's who he accompanies him on all these adventures, and it's terrific. So that's one that I really I've been trying to turn people onto as much as possible because it's also like, again, it's another. It's one dude is doing it all, and it's great. It's a true indie crossover hit. Yeah. On May 10th, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes is coming to IMAX and theaters everywhere. What a day! This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. I stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Only in theaters May 10th. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. I'm glad you mentioned the uh, being on the hook for uh, stuff that's ongoing. One a, a similar question that people ask me is like, my kid is uh, getting into mm-hmm. comics. What is there something that I've I got can, one? I, I can get. I, I go, you go first, and then I will go. Okay. So one of my absolute favorite working artists of the moment is Chris Somney. Um, Mm. famous for his Daredevil run, uh, famous for so many iconic runs on so many of our favorite books. Um, But he, and right now he is drawing uh, Robert Kirkman's Firepower uh, for Image, which is a book that I really love and really enjoy. But he and his wife are doing a book called Jonna and the Impossible Monsters, and it's an all-ages book. Um, And it's incredible. It is... It's a beautiful book. It's a beautiful story about sisters who are separated when monsters kind of take over the world and one sister's trying to find the other sister. And um, and it's like I said, it's an all ages book, but it's like true adventure storytelling, young protagonists. It is like it is like chef's kiss, like all ages book. It's fantastic. Uh, for me, I would pick, and this is another non ongoing. It's a finished three volume book. Sam Bosma. Uh, is just an artist that I love. He writes and draws and drew a, a book called Fantasy Sports. Now, it is a story about a little girl who faces various sports-themed challenges in a magical world, and it's just great. Like, Stunning. the art is great. Uh, the writing is so fun. The challenges are funny and heartwarming and it's perfect for a young reader or for a you know veteran readers alike. It's just like really, really wonderful. Comes in a. Yeah, it, I would urge you, I would urge huh. you to to buy the book because it comes in this big Ooh, format, cool. which feels like a feels like a school book almost. 
And it's just fantastic. Just really, really great. Uh, If you've got that young reader in your life who you're trying to turn into comics and you're worried about, is this thing too, Mm -hmm. is something going to be too too mature, too violent, et cetera? Sam Bosma's Fantasy Sports. Check it out. You two have totally inspired me. I have so many answers for this from working in a comic shop and most of them are big too, but you two have totally inspired me to go a different route. So mine is the classic. It's done. You can buy it in any bookshop, any comic shop, full collection, Bone. By Jeff Bone. Smith. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. as soon as you Absolutely. mentioned Jana, I was like, oh my God, yes, yeah. that book is so beautiful. Yeah. And I'm like, Bone, that was definitely another foundational moment for me when I realized comics could be these sprawling, beautiful. It's almost like it's like Calvin and Hobbes meets Lord of the Rings. It's strip cartooning, yeah. <laughs> but it's this huge adventure. You can get them in little collections if your kid is a bit overwhelmed, or you can buy them a huge kind of phone book-esque Akira style to just be reading on their lap. And I think if you bought any kid who liked comics, those three comics, they would be in a... Br- that is so cool if they were any of those were your first comic. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, it would be great. Bone, I will also... Like, I've given Bone to so many, like, nieces, yeah. nephews, kind of. Like, it's such a great book for young readers. It's great. Okay. This is going to be a fun one. What's your weird comics pick? You never, it's you digging through the back issues, through the long boxes. You found a weird thing. You weren't sure if you're going to like it, but then you ended up liking it. Uh, Rosie is our resident, like, uh, keeper of the archive. What is your, what is your weirdo comics pick? So I have uh, a couple of options here. One, I'm going to start with a true blessing from the DC back issue bins, Strange Sports. This is something that I got literally from a quarter bin. And the cover says, how did the football game turn into a nightmare? And it has a medieval knight like smashing uh, a footballer. Uh This is from the era where doing anthology comics was like really, really popular. So it's kind of like an ECS-esque horror Twilight Zone style. I love those. I try and pick those up whenever I see them. I love all that era of like weird 70s stuff mystery space this is another dc anthology that's like you can usually find in a in a back issue bin so i love that kind of stuff and something that is truly a blessing that if anyone ever is in a back issue bin and finds is the brilliant era of what they used to call like marvel graphic novels where it's just a big prestige cover here is a iconic one that i love which is called punisher black widow spinning doomsday's web and these things oh, are these wow. and it's oversized yeah they're over they the first one was death of captain marvel which was like a really famous one but they did a lot of them and this is like larry stroman dg chichester and it is just weird as heck but i love it that's like one of my most prized possessions so the back issue bin is a is a blessing i i also found you were talking about mark russell and red sonia i found these red sonia comics that were in a back issue bin and everyone was like 25 cents and the covers were so badass so i was like i'm gonna buy them i'm gonna buy all of the ones that they have and um the subheading was red sonia she devil with a sword and they're really really cool and when i looked inside pretty much the entire creative team was women but it was from like oh cool it was from like 1985 so there's just all it's like it's wheezy like louise simonson who's an x-men icon uh mary wilshire's uh, Wilshire was the penciler, Marie Severin, who's one of the earliest women yeah. to work in big two comics, Janice Chang, who's a lettering icon. And this, and Juliana Ferrier was the colorer. Larry Harmer, G.I. Joe icon, he was the editor. Yeah. And that was just something that I literally picked up because the covers were cool. And that's what I love about that back issue bin. You can discover a part of comic book history that's just totally forgotten. 
Ooh, that's great. Those are good ones. Those, I, and I love the visuals of you showing us those <laughs> I covers. Had to. I was so like, good. I love. I was like, sorry to the podcast listeners. Feel free to Google the covers to join in to the joy <laughs> of uh, of seeing them. <laughs> One of the artists of my childhood was that that I just fell in love with. So there were two big ones. One was Art Adams, who I just felt like there was a moment in my life where if I could have been able to draw like Art Adams. I would have chopped off like a foot mm-hmm. to be able to do it. Like I just, oh, yeah. I, I could have fallen into his art. And then uh, Barry Windsor Smith, who I fell in love with because of the, the Weapon X work that he did. So then I would go through the long boxes and be like, okay, Barry Windsor Smith, Barry Windsor Smith. So 1984 Machine Man limited series written by Tom DeFalco, uh, plots by Barry Windsor Smith, uh, and art by Herb Trimp and Barry Windsor Smith. It's a dystopian take on Machine Man in which he's reassembled and realizes that he's in this new realm in the future, doesn't know what the world is like. I I would describe it as like a a mashup of like Blade Runner and Iron Man. The villain is Tony Stark of the 21st century, who's (laughs) a bad guy. And it made no impact. Nobody cares about this (laughs) limited series. I've never heard anybody talk about it. It's probably pretty hard to find and it is super, super, super weird, and I absolutely love it. The Machine Man limited series from 1984, Tom DeVolco, Herb Trent, Barry Windsor-Smith. If you can find it, check it out because, again, it is super, super weird. And if you like Iron Man but you want to see him as a villain, mm-hmm. check it out. A great romance between Machine Man and Jocasta. Uh, <laughs> of course. It's good. It's good. It's good. And check if, it yeah, out. I will say that made me think if you like Barry Windsor-Smith, he put out a book last year called Monsters mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is like a big graphic novel yeah. length book that is gorgeous. I was going to say Machine Man made me think of Next Wave. Yes, yes. <laughs> which is one of my all-time favorite favorite books. If you want a really funny, hilarious, insane gonzo book, <laughs> um, Next Wave is a pretty good one. How do you even describe Next Wave Agents of Hate uh, being one of their arcs. Like, how do you d- describe Next Wave? How do you describe what I Next Wave I give Next Wave to people because it's such a self-contained nonsense. You don't need yeah. to know these characters' no. stories. to li- Not to, at all. To read this absolutely insane story. And it, because it's like, I give it to people because I'm like, this is, com- comics can be like this too. Mm-hmm. You know, like, because a lot of, like, comics can have jokes that we would do. Comics, because yeah. I feel like some uh, comic skeptics that are like my age kind of people like are, you know, oftentimes fall into the trap of comics are for kids. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, read this book. You're going to laugh your ass off, you know? Yeah. Monica Rambeau, also relevant. So go and grab Next Wave. (laughs) Yeah. It's timely. I was trying to think. I don't really have a good, like, back of the box kind of um, random pick. All of the things that I'm, that are my kind of old things or out of print things that I've been reading are like, it's obvious, like, uh, like all of Ed Brubaker and Darwin Cook's uh, yeah. Catwoman series yeah. that is not collected anywhere. So you know I had to. It's not collected yeah. anywhere, though. You should just tell people about it because that's a book people can't read. And we're about to see Catwoman in Batman. No, so that's it's why still I'm, a lost, I've, it's a lost. I've been mentioning it a lot because I'm like, put the give us an either an omnibus or something. Yes. These are incredible crime stories. Incredible, you know, um, Ed Brubaker, who, you know, traditionally works with Sean Phillips on Criminal and all the other kind of ancillary books that are predominantly noir style crime stories with 
either some supernatural or some Lovecraftian elements or whatever. He's been doing the great Reckless books this this last couple of years. Uh, but regardless, he did this incredibly long run on Catwoman that is essentially just great crime stories and the in, the incredible, incomparable Darwin Cook mm-hmm. draws them. And it's just beautiful, beautiful cartooning, beautiful, great crime stories, pulpy, fun crime stories starring Catwoman. I wish they would put these out again. I wish I wasn't having to troll eBay to buy these. That seems ludicrous. Darwin Cook is one of the most iconic artists of all time and is also a brilliant gateway for people who love animation or love cartooning but don't love superhero comics. And with Batman coming out soon with having, you know, a a major Selena Kyle kind of storyline, seems wild that there's not a trade of that. Seems crazy to me. I'll shout out another Ed Brubaker book just because they uh, he he put it out uh, on Panel Syndicate Mm -hmm. first. It's called Friday, Mm -hmm. um, and it's now been collected. The first three issues have been collected into a physical copy, so you can actually now buy it. Marcos Martin is the artist who is just one of my favorites. Incredible. Also, a Panel Syndicate book that you can buy now is Private Eye, Brian K. Vaughn's book with Marcos Martin, which is also absolutely gorgeous. Um, and it's a great Friday is a great kind of story about like what happens if like Encyclopedia Brown and the it, it had a partner and they solved stories as kids. What happens when they get older and grow up, <laughs> you know, um, and it's kind of and but are still, you know, she moves away to college, but comes back and there's a mystery and all that kind of stuff. But they're not kids anymore. Mm-hmm. And it's it's really it's really good. I, I'm really I, I think it's a, and it's beautiful. This has been uh, so delightful, y'all. Uh, I've really enjoyed this conversation, and my pull list has now expanded uh, substantially. I'm uh, going to head to Secret Headquarters, actually, this <laughs> afternoon, because yeah, yesterday was New Comics Day, and I've got a, the debut of the new Iron Fist uh, sitting there that I know I have to get, among other things. So I'm excited to, to put in some new orders. Jason, uh, anything to plug? I'll plug one more book. It's called The Case of the Missing Men. Um, it's too, it's a small book, uh, that these guys out of Nova Scotia do. And it is incredible. So fun. Great book. Um, and I'll plug, uh, I mean, personally, uh, I'm one of the hosts of the, how did this get made podcast with Paul Shear and June Diane Raphael. If you like listening to people talk about bad movies that they've just watched, that's our whole deal. So, uh, (laughs) so check it out. Well, folks, this has been fantastic. What a wonderful conversation. Jason, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. Up next, Nerd Out. In this week's Nerd Out, a recurring segment where you tell us what you love and why, Rodrigo pitches us on alternative movie posters. Hey, X-Ray Vision. My name's Rodrigo, and the thing I wanted to nerd out about isn't a specific property, but rather kind of a hobby that encompasses most of the nerdy properties out there, Um, and that is alternative movie posters. AMP, as I call them, have been kind of on this steady rise over the last decade, and it's basically kind of modern-day artists providing their unique take on their favorite properties, like usually movies, as the name would indicate, but more and more we're seeing like TV shows, album covers, concert posters, comic book posters, etc. 
I really got into it because I was getting bored with studio posters. I think in a time where movie studios are kind of leading the way towards these like generic multiple face blue and orange soulless posters, AMP provides movie lovers something more that feels like artisanal, more interpretive of the story, often like drawn by hand or using digital tools to mimic the feel of a hand-drawn art piece. It really satisfies the nostalgic bug that many movie lovers are looking for, even if you aren't collecting AMP yet. If you're somewhat online, I'm guessing you've probably seen some examples that were so big they made it over onto the mainstream scene. Ali Moss is an artist that did a Star Wars series that had some key locations of the movies inside these monochromatic outlines of the characters. So basically there was like a Tatooine inside of a red C-3PO, the Cloud City from Bespin inside Boba Fett, the Endor Moon inside Darth Vader. But there's art for really almost anything you can think of, like Harry Potter, Dune, X-Men, Terminator, Jurassic Park, classic Space Jam, you know, a bunch of really good stuff. The artists come in all sorts of styles. Um, There's even some really great comic book adjacent names, you know, Bill Sienkiewicz, Mark Brooks, Michael Cho. They've all done some really cool posters. It's a great way to decorate your walls with the thing that you love in a less tacky way than the studio generated poster. Plus, it's a good investment sometimes. You know, there's posters that you can buy for like 50 bucks, 60 bucks, and then they resell for like 500, 600 dollars. It's a really interesting copy that's been around for for a long time, but it's really picked up steam lately. So if you're interested and you don't know where to start, I would say search out places like Mondo, Layered Butter, a website called Alternative Movie Posters. Take a look at what's out there. You know, once you're there, you can fall down the rabbit hole until you're connecting with some private commissions, which for me is truly where the magic happens. But there's always new posters coming out, so it's never not exciting to be following the the usual suspects of, of the, the hobby and see what they want to put out there. So yeah, so check it out. Thanks, Rodrigo. If you want to be featured, if you have something that you love, you want to tell people about, send your nerd out pitch to x-ray at crooked.com. Instructions are in the show notes. Up next, the end game. We're in the end game now. And for this week's end game, uh, so much mutant talk, so much uh, theorizing about how the mutants and our favorite X-Friends might possibly make their introduction into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So with that in mind, the question posed to us today by producer Saul What would your mutant power be? The onset of puberty has hit you like a truck. There is some sort of moment of extreme stress. Maybe you're being made fun of. Maybe somebody, the bully, uh, hit your books out of your hand. Maybe you're looking and someone's about to get hit by a truck across the street. And you can feel it happening. Your mutant power is about to emerge. What is that power. Rosie, do you want to go first? Uh, I mean, isn't this the question, the conversation we've all had so many times, the dream? I think just it's that impact of that Claremont run that we talked about for so long. I think it's just like a a telekinesis, like a a Jean Grey style telekinesis. Like that, I think because I was a horror kid, so like Carrie and then like funny other non-horror, but like Matilda, like Jean Grey, the idea of that all consuming like and it feels emotional with Jean Grey it's like you get angry and things start to move it's like the manifestation the manifestation of the anger and the sadness and the and all of that but also just like being able to like get a book out of a bookshelf without reaching it and stuff I would like the small aspects as well as the big life-changing mutant manifestation so I think that would still be my uh no telepathy, though. You can keep that part. Yeah, that's it. I don't like telepathy. It feels invasive. That being said, my my power has changed so many times over the course of my life. <laughs> I've wanted so many different. I've wanted so many different things. I used to love cannonballs, like ability 
to fly and be invulnerable like while flying. Similar to you, the telekinesis, you know, Jean Grey, the ability to move stuff with your mind is, has been so fantastic and and so intriguing and something I've been fascinated with, particularly when I was young. When I had my big Wolverine phase, which went for a number of years, it was like a healing factor. How mm-hmm. cool would that be? Take any injury, you know, like fall out of a moving truck, fall from the top of the Empire State Building and, and your body be reconstituted. That would be amazing. But I think since then, the one that is the most intriguing to me, and it's subtle and passive in a lot of ways, but extremely powerful, is Douglas Ramsey's a.k.a. Cypher, Douglas Ramsey of the New Mutants, his ability to basically understand immediately, read and communicate in any language, Mm -hmm. be it an alien language, be it a computer language, be it the language of Krakoa, the living island, and being able to translate for other people. I think it's so powerful, so cool, and it's one of those powers that it feels like even as it's been fleshed out and expanded by various creators – it feels like we've only scratched the surface mm-hmm. of what Douglas Ramsey is capable. So that's what I would like to do to I be able that. to like read, communicate, understand any symbolic language, any spoken language, any written language. What would it be for uh, y'all listening? What would it be for, for any of you? What power would you love to have? Have you daydreamed about having? I know that you've done it. We've all done it. We've all daydreamed about having a superpower. So what would yours be? Let us know what you think and who do you think won. Use hashtag XRV Endgame to give us your pick. And that's it for our show. A big thank you to one of the greatest Jasons of all time, Jason Manzukas. A huge thank you to the great Rosie Knight for once again blessing us with the wisdom and knowledge that she contains in her big brain. Rosie, anything to plug for you? If you want to look at my late night ramblings about the Doctor Strange poster, definitely <laughs> please do it. Definitely go to Nerdist <laughs> and, and look at my poster key, the the magic of Photoshop. Soon, my my comic that I keep talking about, I filed the script for it this week. My license, my first license comic, that will be coming out soon, and I'll be able to talk. Well, it'll be coming out in a few months, but I'll be able to talk about it soon when it's in previews. So keep an eye out for that. And otherwise, just same place as always. You can hear me here. Uh, I've got Instagram where I talk about comics a lot, and Letterboxd where I talk about all the bad movies that I watch every day. <laughs> <laughs> really, just so happy to be here. So thanks for having me again. If you want to learn more about what we explore in each episode, and this is going to be one of those where, theoretically, you might want to know more, check out the Listener's Guide and all things X-Ray Vision in our show notes on our website. Catch our next episode February 25th. And again, nerd out pitches, suggestions, thoughts, concerns, anything else, hit us at x-ray at crooked.com. We love to hear from you. Don't forget... Five-star ratings only wherever you get your podcast. We thrive on those reviews. We love the feedback. But if it's going to be that public-facing feedback on a, on a podcast platform, it's got to be the five-star ratings. Please hit us with them. X-Ray Vision is a Crooked Media production. The show is produced by Chris Lord and Saul Rubin. The show is executive produced by myself and Sandy Gerard. Caroline Reston and Carlton Gillespie are our consulting producers. And our editing and sound design is done by the wonderful Vasilis Fotopoulos. Thanks to Brian Vasquez for our theme music. See you next time. <laughs>